Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Um, but I invite you this morning to turn back with me to the book of Galatians. We're going to be mostly in Galatians chapter 6, but we're going to begin reading in Galatians chapter 5, the latter part of it. Um, I'm finishing a message that I basically, just to be honest with you, was too long-winded to finish uh, last Sunday. I mean, let's, we're in church, so let's just be honest, right? Let's let all things be out there. I was just too long-winded to finish it. I intended to preach all five points, but we only got through two. Um, but we were starting, we, we looked at the subject, and we're looking at the subject of, <clears throat> of the Christian responsibility to consider others, all right? What position are we to consider others in? First, second, third, fourth, fifth, what position are we to consider others? First, we are first and first, first and foremost to consider God our Father who remains in heaven and he doesn't, he's so high above the rankings that he doesn't even land on the rankings, okay? But we are to consider others before we consider ourselves, that is not the way we are trained, especially in our Western philosophy, in an individualized society where we begin to think about ourselves more than anything, okay? Now, there is one place where I've noted that it is, pro- or I've noticed that it is probably good to think about yourself first, and that is when you are on an airplane and those oxygen masks come down. Matter of fact, they tell you, put the oxygen mask on before you put it on anyone else, because if you have it on you, then you will be breathing freely to help others who need it, Right? I think that's a great illustration of our need for salvation. Salvation is our oxygen mask. If we do not know Christ as our Savior, we really cannot help others the way the Bible would have us to do, the way the Bible is showing us uh, to help others that we've been looking at in this passage and to serve others. We serve others best when we serve through the spirit and the power of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, it's a command that we should do so as well. So let's look in Galatians chapter 5, and I'm not going to re-preach the first two points, but I will give you those two points and we'll kind of review those really, really quickly in just a moment too. But look at Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 24. It says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and its desires. Just like Jesus was crucified for our sins, we crucify our sins in favor of Jesus Christ. If we live by the Spirit, we let us also keep in step with the Spirit, the Spirit that lives with inside of us and beckons us to righteousness and calls us uh, to be like Christ. Verse 26, let us not become conceited. I'm just going to stop there for a minute and let that sink in. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. And then the continuation, because the verses and chapter breakups did not come until a little bit later on when Paul wrote this. It was just a letter format. So it continues this thought. Brothers and sisters, instead, he tells us how to respond to other people. Instead of being conceited, instead of provoking one another, instead of envying one another, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing or sin or stumbling, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Now that may look a little contradictory to verse number two, and we're going to look at that a little bit more in depth in just a moment. Verse number six, let the one who has taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let's not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Isn't that a word that is helpful for today? Don't get weary in well-doing. Don't get tired of doing good, because in due time, you will reap. It may not seem like it now, but in due time, you will reap. And then he says this, Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Holy Spirit, as the song said just a moment ago, you are welcome here. We ask for you to fill us and fill this house with your presence, fill our spirit. Holy Spirit, you are the one who does the work of illuminating us to truth. You are the one who teaches us. You are the one who guides. You are the one who preaches. So I pray this morning as your messenger, I pray that you would tie my tongue from saying anything that would hinder your word from going forth as you intend it to go today. And I pray for us to receive what you have for us today as hungry children before a merciful and nurturing father. We are yours and we ask you to speak. And I pray today too, if there's somebody that is here that is struggling with their faith, that doesn't know for sure if they are a Christian, if they were to die today, if they would go to heaven, I pray today would be their day of salvation. Speak and work as only you can in this place right now. And the church of Jesus Christ said, amen. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I opened last Sunday by giving this, the illustration of General William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army. And in 1912, when by the time it had grown to a global, uh, global ministry at the International Convention, he was too ill to go because he was near death, he sent his, uh, his chairman's message to the floor of the convention, and that message was one word. And as his son read it, began to bring revival and cause tears to fall among the convention floor, that one word message was simply others. As that word began to fall among those people who had joined a ministry that was supposed to be other-centered, it refocused that ministry on where it needed to be. The ministry is to focus on others. Warren Wearsby says in his commentary, he says that the word others should be and is commanded to be one of the key phrases of the Christian's vocabulary. And I'd like to add to that a little bit. I believe others should be one of the main burdens that the Christian carries in the forefront of his mind at all times. It should be a filter through which we view everything that we see around us. Too often we're trained to put the filter on of looking at the world through the eyes of what benefits me first and foremost. I don't know about you, but that's a battle that I face every single day. Every time I leave the house, I don't even have to leave the house to find that battle of look for what Derek wants before what anybody else wants. My whole house is set up. My whole car is set up. My whole life is set up for what makes Derek feel comfortable. We pursue comfort and things that make us and convenience and all of those things, right? There are two left-handers living in our house and two right-handers. 
So we normally will set the house up. If Noel and I set things up, it's obvious because it looks like a left-hander did it. But if Natalie and Stacy set it up, it looks like they did it because they're right-handers. And for those who are left-handed, you know the struggle is real because the whole world is right-handed, isn't it not? This is why we're the smartest people in the world. Because we have to overcome a world that is not bent towards us. All right? I'm just saying, most of the presidents were left-handed. Just look it up. I'm telling you. All right? But Warren Wearsby does say that others should be one of the key phrases of the Christian's vocabulary. Love one another is a phrase that is found at least a dozen times in the New Testament alone. Along with the, the encouragement in the book of James to pray for one another. Edify one another is what the book of 1 Thessalonians tells us to do. Romans tells us that we should prefer one another. 1 Peter says that we should use hospitality or be hospitable toward one another. And there are many, many more admonitions for how we should look towards others. The admonitions for how we should look towards self are not near as many as the ones that are, admonition, are admonitions towards looking towards others. For the past several weeks, we've looked at Galatians chapter 5 as it relates to the freedom that we have in Christ. And the question that I have to constantly come to, that I ask myself as I grow in the Lord, because I believe this, as we grow in the Lord, we become more amazed at what we find out about Him. We, don't, we won't grow in the Lord and become more amazed at ourselves. All right, you, you get that? If you're growing and your spiritual maturity is defined by you becoming more impressed with yourself, you're not growing and maturing in the Lord. That's not the way the Bible lays it out. As we grow and we mature in the Lord, we become more impressed and we become more overwhelmed with the goodness of God. And how could he be so good to me as lowly as I am? But God tells us that Jesus sets us free for the purpose of, of setting others free with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been set free from sin. We've been set free from legalism. We've been set free from the tyranny of sin and the flesh and the oppression of temptation. We've been set free to walk in step with the Spirit. We've been set free to think of others because we're taken care of. I'm covered, therefore, I don't need to be so consumed with myself. I can be consumed with the ultimate needs of other people. And their first need is a need that if you are a child of God has already been covered. It's the need of the cross. Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 through 15, I believe, are kind of the backbone that everything that we're looking at today and everything that we've looked at through, uh, through this kind of mini-series that we've kind of had out of Galatians 5 and 6, it kind of all hangs on. And I want you to see it again. He says in verse number 13, he says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilled in this. Love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. But if you bite and you devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. Nobody in here would admit to being a cannibal, but spiritually speaking, the temptation is strong to cannibalize one another. To instead of encourage and to exhort one another to grow in their faith and exhort one another in grace and in mercy, we oftentimes bite and chew and, and get mad at one another. Do I need to say Baptist business meeting? Right? 
We've all heard the horror stories of churches splitting over colors of carpet and splitting over things. I'm thankful. I'm so thankful to God that he has provided a spirit of unity to our church as we transitioned into Graceway and as we made that bold move to replant because God could have used, or Satan could have used that to do a lot of damage. But yet still here we are. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, God has brought us. But if you bite and you devour one another, watch out or you'll be consumed by one another. The main theme of scripture is reiterated here. Don't be about yourself. Be about others for the glory of Jesus Christ. And the reason I can be about others is because Jesus be about me. I don't know how else to put it. The reason that we can be about others is because Jesus is about me and Jesus is about you. He proved it on the cross. And if you are his child, he's got you. He's got your back. This is why we're told to keep in step with the Spirit. In verse number 25, we're told to walk by the Spirit so we don't carry out the desire or the drift of the flesh. See, to be, uh, be Christ-like is to be others-minded, and to be Spirit-led is to think of others and how we can minister to them. Let me tell you this. The Spirit will never lead us to look at a person in need and say, you know what? I just don't think it's convenient for me. That will never be the leading of the Spirit. So I want to look at a couple things, and I want to just really quickly go over two things. Restore others. He says in verse number one that the spiritual should restore those who have fallen or have tripped up themselves in sin. It kind of gives the idea not of a person who is a sadistic, just habitual kind of person who looks to sin and only wants to sin and doesn't have, uh, doesn't have a teachable or repentant bone in their body. He's talking about the brother or sister that you probably sit next to in church on Sunday morning, or maybe who is not here today because they feel a little bit ashamed of what, of what they've been dabbling in, and they're afraid that if they come back, they'll be judged or looked at different. What we need is those to, instead of repressing them and condemning them, we need to restore one another in love and mercy and grace. Now, restoration, we didn't cover this a whole lot last Sunday, but restoration is not just, oh, you go ahead and do what you want and everything will be okay. That's not restoration. That's deception. And that's what a lot of people want today from the church. You'll be okay. Jesus loves you anyway. He can't help but love you. But folks, there is this word, if it were not for this word called sin in the word of God, we could say that. But the word of God tells us that there is sin and sin carries a consequence. And the consequence is fatal. It's death. So we don't restore by just saying, oh, you're okay. We restore by saying, yes, you sinned, but God's grace is more. When our sins are many, his mercy is more. It's a new song that I hope that we can introduce here at our church that, I've, that has just really begun to minister to me. Is that, that's the line in the chorus. When my sins are many, his mercy is more. That's the core of restoration. Those who are spiritual, it says. Those who know the mercy and grace of God. It doesn't mean that I've been spiritual my whole life. It means at that moment in my journey, I happen to be in a place in my life where God's given me discernment and I can help someone who has stumbled because I know what it's like to stumble and be brought back up. It's not coming from a place of pride. It's not coming from a place of arrogance or conceit because pride, arrogance, and conceit are gonna lead me to judge that person rather than lovingly Nurture that person and bring them back to restoration. So we must do the work of restoration. We must also do the work of helping others. As verse number two says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry one another's burdens. Use that illustration last Sunday of a spotter at the gym. Now, after using that illustration, how many of you people just went out and joined a gym just because you're like, you know what? I was so like just pumped up 
by that illustration that I need a spotter. I went out to the gym and I started lifting weights and asking somebody to spot me. Anybody else go out and jump, jump? Planet Fitness? Anywhere? No? Okay. Me neither, so don't worry about it. Um, I should have been convicted by my own il illustration, but I didn't. Um, but we know what a spotter is. When you lift weights, if you're, standing, if you're sitting there and you're bench pressing, and the weight you know is going to be a challenge to you, you have a spotter that will help you. If, and you don't want that spotter to touch that bar until you need it. But when you need it, you are thankful for that spotter. And as I said last Sunday, we all need spiritual spotters in our life because we are going to be given burdens that are too much for us to bear. I, I, I really don't like that misleading quote, well, God's just never going to give me more than I can bear. That's a lie. God will always give you more than you can bear because he has a plan in that because it is in that desperation that we look for him. It causes us to look to him. The real quote, the truth of the true phrase is, God will never lay on us more than we can bear through him. And you see, through him means he set up this wonderful thing called the church and the community of brothers and sisters in Christ that are, helped to bear, that are supposed to help to bear one another's burdens. This is why Hebrews tells us, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. As the manner of some is, as you see the day approaching, but you're supposed to come together and encourage one another and help to lift one another up. Listen, this, is, this has been the hard thing through this pandemic and we've had to keep distance and we've had to go to virtual services and things like that. But folks, the reason that we have tried so hard to keep the ministry going is not just so we can still be here when the pandemic is over, it's so we can be here while the pandemic is still going on because we need one another. We need each other. Because the church is to be a community that helps to bear burdens. Now, it doesn't say just flat out carry everybody's burdens. And that's what happens a lot of times. Is there are a lot of people that have burdens and they have no problem just throwing everything on somebody else and letting them handle that. That's not the picture that we're given here. Because as we look on, and this is where we get into the other part of the message, the new part of the message this morning, is that we have to bear personal responsibility. One other thing about helping others, it says, if you bear another, one another's burdens, you fulfill the law of Christ because I can't bear a person's burdens for them if I don't love them. If I don't love a person, I don't care. I'm not going to help them carry that load. I'm not going to help meet that need. I'm not going to be that, that listening ear or that shoulder to cry on. But as I bear those burdens, I fulfill the law of Christ that I will love others like I love myself. You say, well, hold on for a second. If I'm supposed to bear another's burdens, and it says carry another's burdens, what happens if somebody starts to take advantage of me? Well, there's a fail-safe in here. Number three, bear personal responsibility. Look at verse number four. He says, let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone. And not compare himself with someone else, for each person will have to carry his own load. See, verses 4 and 5 exist to qualify what verses 2 and 3 tell us. They exist because it's almost like we know that human nature will cause us to just want to throw up our hands and say, I ain't taking this anymore. I'm just throwing it all and I'm going to throw it on somebody else. We know the statistics and the statistics really haven't changed. They may have even changed for the worse. That in the normal church in America today, 20% of the people do 100% of the work while 80% want to just complain about it. And that's harsh. And I'm not saying that in an evil spirit, but that's just the statistics that we see today. 
We've become a very consumeristic society, and that carries over into our church experience as well. But here's what we see. As we carry one another's burdens, we also have a personal responsibility to carry our own. It's as everybody pulls their own weight, as everybody walks in their faith with Jesus Christ and is growing in their relationship with Christ, burdens will arise and we begin to help one another out as well. But we must learn to bear personal responsibility. It's not a contradiction of verse number two. It's more to point out the fact that as well-intentioned as we can be about helping others, there are some burdens also that we just can't bear for them. There's burdens that I bear in my relationship with Christ and in my life that no matter how much someone may want to help me and no matter how much I may want them to help me, it's something that I have to bear and I have to carry my own, on my own. It's also a warning to those who would take advantage of verse number two. See, Charles Haddon Spurgeon talked about this in his commentary on Galatians chapter six. He said that there are those who would bear burdens and then there are those who would bore down on others with burdens or who would bear down on others with burdens. Meaning that there are those who would look at verse number two and say, all right, who's going to carry my burdens today? And they're walking around scot-free and don't have to do anything. Spurgeon said there has to be a, or Spurgeon said there has to be a balance or there will be someone who will take advantage, which is happening in some instances in the Galatian church, and it happens often in every church, in every time period, including ours. See, personal responsibility is an indirect way of loving other people. He said, I thought this message was about others. Now you're talking about, am I pulling my weight and am I doing my, my fair share? Yes, because with verse number four says to examine our own work, it's speaking of the personal nature of saving faith. When verse number five talks about carrying your own load, it's talking about the fact that we will all carry our own personal responsibility for sin before God. What this means is, I will not stand before God and be judged for the sinful choices that you have made. You will not stand before God and be judged for the sinful choices that I have made. What I will stand before God as a preacher and be judged for is, did I adequately and thoroughly preach the word to prepare and to help equip? But what we will all stand before God in personal judgment for is, how did I obey the Lord? You see, you can't make somebody obey. I can't make somebody obey. That's the personal weight and the personal load. And that's why verse number three tells us, before we get too high-minded thinking we're something when we're nothing and deceiving ourselves, let's remain humble realizing that we are all sinners and beggars before a holy God. See, as we bear our own weight and as we look at, fa at the face of our own sin, we remain humble and remember and realize that we need God every day. The only way I will bear my personal weight is with his strength undergirding me. Just like David the psalmist said, he is the rock on which I stand. He drew me out of that miry clay and set my feet upon a rock. It will only be the strength of God that girds us enough to be able to carry those burdens that we have. See, many times we're tempted as well. This is another way that we oftentimes will throw off our own personal weight is we'll blame somebody else for it. Well, that person, I wouldn't have done this if I hadn't been tempted so much. We see this happen a lot of times in our culture and culture passes. You know what? I wouldn't have been tempted to lust if she hadn't dressed so skimpily. We still bear, guys, we still bear the personal responsibility before the Lord not to engage in lust, regardless of what's around us. To lay that on somebody else, 
They have their own things to set before God. We have ours. This is why we've seen in the past and in some communities where women are, <laughs> women are basically told that it was, their, it was their fault that they were assaulted. Because if they hadn't been out where they were or if they hadn't been wearing what they were wearing, it wouldn't have brought that about. See, we like to blame our sin and put it on someone else. Adam did it all the way back, man, when the first sin happened. The woman you gave me gave me the fruit. Guys, blaming women for our sins didn't work with God the first time, and it's never going to work with God at any time. Vice versa, too. Ladies, blaming guys for sins, although we're pretty nasty dudes. But blame, we can't blame others for... This is not the most eloquent message I'm just saying, anyway, you may want to just back up and delete most of it, but personal responsibility is an indirect way of loving others. When I take responsibility for my own sin, when I take responsibility for my own actions, I'm doing my church a favor, a favor. I'm doing my savior a favor, I'm doing myself a favor. Taking personal responsibility, bearing our own load, not looking to other people and saying, well, I wouldn't have done this had I not. We live in a victimized culture today victimized. And the reason for that is if I can promote myself as a victim, I don't have to take responsibility and then I don't have to deal with my sin and then I don't need a savior. Who do you think is behind all of that that wants to keep me from seeing my need for a savior and for forgiveness? It's not God. It's Satan. See, I won't have to give an account for the sins of others. I have to give an account for how I treated others and you will too. The fourth thing that we have to do, not only bear respons personal responsibility, we didn't like that one too much, let's, let's see if this one will work for us, okay? Is number four, to share with others. How am I to freely serve one another? I need to freely share with other people. Look at verse number six. Let the one who has taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived, God's not mocked. For whatever you sow, you will also reap. Because the one who sows to a flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. The free Spirit that we are given will freely share the goodness that they receive. Those who are freely given to will freely share what they've been given. Kind of goes back to that old saying, right? To whom much has been given, much is required, right? Anybody in here say, you know what? I wasn't given enough when I was given salvation. I think I got gypped. None of us would say that, but many times we live like that. When we decide to withhold from God, when he begins asking of us as we serve him. See, we all want heaven freely given, but when it comes to walking and serving Christ and being his disciple and taking up the cross daily and following him and denying ourselves and all of those other things that Jesus also said about what it takes to be a disciple, we begin to start drawing the line and we begin to start looking for conditions and loopholes and all of those things to say, maybe he wasn't talking to me, but oh, he was. Oh, he was. You see, we should share with others. I can't look at others and just say, you know what? Good luck. 
If I'm a child of God and I have it within me to be able to help, if I have it within me to be able to share, I should be able to do that. He uses one illustration in verse number six, that the one who was taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. This is where we look sometimes today, especially in the modern day church, and look at the idea of having clergy who are compensated for the work as pastors. I'm thankful to be able to be in a position of this church where you employ me as a full-time pastor and minister of the gospel. There are many who are bivocational because that's the way their funds are set up. Or There are many who do it voluntarily as well. It doesn't mean that one is out of order with the Lord at all, but what it says is to freely share your good things. In every instance, whether a pastor is full-time, bivocational, or volunteer, you see a church that loves their teachers and they will have a spirit of not withholding from them, but sharing with them. Whether it be money, I've had people bring me tomatoes. Oh, God, thank you for the people with the tomatoes. They just, they have this idea of sharing. Why? Because it's a way of saying thank you or a way of saying we love you. Because the person that teaches is sharing of their work each time that they teach and study and prepare. He says, but then he says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked for what you sow. You will also reap. We will get out of this Christian experience what we put into it. Is really what he's saying. You may not be happy with your Christian experience or your life right now or your walk with Christ or you may feel like God has shortchanged you or shorthanded you. But let me ask you this. If you're not getting out what you had expected of this, how much have you been putting in that's been expected of you? Now, I'm not just saying that to you. When I say you, I mean we here. How much are we putting in to what's been expected of us? Well, what's expected of me as a believer? Expected of us to love our Savior. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Are we keeping his commandments? Are we loving others like we should love ourselves? You see, we'll get out what we put in. Every time the Bible talks about giving just about, it does so in an agricultural sense. Meaning, if I put a seed in the ground and I water the seed, except for when it's on home's land, because for some reason my ground is cursed. Doesn't matter where the ground is, it's cursed because of me. But when you put, this is the way it's supposed to work. I've heard tell of this, that when you take these things called seeds and put them in the ground and you water them and the sun does all of its stuff, it will then grow and produce a fruit. I've yet to see it happen, but I've, I've seen many people who see it happen, okay? Um, and a lot of people in the Bible saw that happen because this is the way the Bible looks at it. When you give, you will see a return on that investment. You may be saying, well, I've been giving for years and I've yet to see my bank account increase. God's pay is not always in the same currency. Not always. Because why? He knows what we can handle he knows if we can handle it. That's not to say that if you've been tithing or you've been giving for years and you haven't, you know, gotten the raises that you had hoped you would get and all that stuff that he, he knows he can't, he, you can't handle it. It's just, this is the way God chooses to bless us. He blesses us as he knows what we need. Maybe you've been blessed with family. Maybe you've been blessed with it. It doesn't mean, it's not a prescription for a totally pain-free, worry-free, peaceful existence. That's what many people in the prosperity gospel say. If you give to God and if you sow a seed of faith, you'll get everything you've ever desired. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. I don't command him with my faith. I serve him with it. And a servant doesn't demand of his master. A servant is grateful for every blessing the master gives. We'll get out what we put in. 
The ultimate understanding here is that someone who has been given so much by the grace of God cannot honestly live with a spirit of begrudging, stinginess, especially when they see a need right in front of them. We were given this illustration in scripture, and I wish I'd pinned down the reference for it, but it just kind of popped in my head of, of this person who has a need for something. It says, who among you who sees someone who has a need will be heartless enough to say, go and be fed, and say, well, I just hope it all works out for you when they have something to share. We see ex examples and we see evidence of that all around us today as well. No doubt, as we leave, especially in the community that we have been replanted in, we have seen so many people that stand on the street corners with cardboard saying, I need help. And I realize there are some that are running scams, but there are others who are not. And the way I'm looking at this is if I have the ability to help, it's between them and God whether they're scamming me. It's between me and God whether I follow through with that leading of the Spirit to help. This is why we develop those blessing bags so that you can turn in, you can turn your tithe and your faithful giving here into something that you can use to bless the community around you. You see, those are just practical things. To leave church and then look at someone who's saying they have need when you have an ability to fill that need, I think it borders on heresy. It really does. And I'm just talking right now. I don't think I'm necessarily preaching at this point, but I think it does. You see, here's what it says in the latter part of our, of our uh, passage. Galatians chapter, nine, verse, Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Let's not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. So number five, we should persist in doing good for others. We should persist in doing good for others. One of the questions I ask as I'm studying a passage, especially when I come to a command or to a, or, or to a, a directive like this verse is, when it says, don't get tired of doing good, I ask myself, why would that be there? And then I begin to look and think about my personal experiences. Why would I need to be told to continue to do what's right? Because I'm constantly going to be tempted and given opportunities to do what's wrong. We have to be reminded, we have to continue to be encouraged to continue to do what's right because doing what's right doesn't always result in an instant payout, does it? And this is what Paul says, continue and not get tired of doing good for you will reap at the what? Some of you need to circle, highlight, tattoo that word proper time, whatever you need to do, because especially in an instant microwave, instant coffee society, order it on the app, it'll be there when you get there, society, we need to understand the value of waiting for the proper time. If I've got a nice, <laughs> this, this may be the only way we get it as Baptists. I've got to put it in food terms. <laughs> if I've got a nice Boston butt pork roast. All right, kids, yes, I said butt in church. I'm sorry. If I, but it's what it's called. If I've got a nice Boston butt pork roast and I want to eat that thing, what's the proper way to cook it? 
Low and slow. Some of y'all need to be Southern educated a little bit more. I'm not going to take that beautiful Boston butt pork roast and throw it in the microwave and nuke that bad boy and say, I'm really hungry. I want it now. No, low and slow is the way you're going to enjoy it the best. And the word of God is telling us that when it comes to righteousness and when it comes to making a spiritual significance within your community and with others, sometimes low and slow is the only way you're going to see any fruit out of it. I don't know if that worked. Did it work? Did you get what I was saying? Right? But what we're oftentimes saying is, man, we did this gospel at every home and nobody showed up. You know what I found? If I'm just busy talking about Jesus to somebody, God begins to send people that I never even talked to through the door. Or if I'm busy praying... It may be for a while, but little by little, we begin to see things happen. We begin to see fruit. I'll tell you, as a pastor, especially through this pandemic, it's really hard because you don't see a finished product a lot of times. But I'll tell you what I have seen through this that has been an encouragement to me. And I'll tell you, it's not easy sometimes when you stand week in, week out, and you preach to a room that is at best half full of what it was before the pandemic. Knowing that there's some people, here's how I get through it. I just imagine there's a million billion out there on the internet watching me right now too. No. What I begin to see is I hear people's conversations and I hear what people are concerned about. And what I've seen here at Graceway is the requests have changed, not just from, hey, I've got this bunion, which you have a bunion, we'll pray for that too. But people begin to say, hey, will you pray for this person? They don't know Jesus. Or I begin to see people's Facebook posts and they start changing and transforming themselves from being kind of just frivolous things to being Bible verses or what they're learning in Christ as I'm seeing some of you begin to post as well. Still wish I'd see more of you do it, but you know, it is what it is. You begin to see spots of growth begin to take place. Little rays of light that begin to kind of peek through. Understand this, that as we do the work of the ministry together as a church, the growth will be slow. Sometimes it will be fast. But the growth, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, growth will take place inside of us, around us, and among us. And we're getting ready to begin to plant those seeds of the gospel out in a community that is dry and barren of hope, and dry and barren of truth. And you can't begin to plant those seeds and water them with prayer without God making an impact. So go in faith, knowing that God's going to work. Persist in doing good for others. And then it says, as we have the opportunity, and I believe this, not one of us, there's not one of us that doesn't have opportunity. We all have the opportunity. We have so many resources at our disposal that gives us far more opportunity than the people in Galatia did in the day that this was written. I have this one device right here that allows me to communicate with people around the globe within the matter of milliseconds. There are people right now that are watching this halfway around the world. We have the opportunity. We can't waste it. We can't just say, well, it just doesn't seem like people are in tune to spiritual things like they used to be back in the good old days. No, because there's this book that says as time goes on, things will get worse and worse. And I can sit and be mad that I was born in this generation, but I, or I can accept the fact that I was chosen for this generation and equipped for this generation to do the work that is required in this generation. But the work may be difficult. The work may take time, but the work is still necessary. Amen? 
Persist in doing good for others. The question that I ask this morning as we close out, what opportunities may you be passing up? What opportunities may you be passing up? Therefore, as we have the opportunity, it's not a question of whether we have it, but will we take the opportunity that we have? I want to close by looking at the last part of Galatians chapter 4. And Brother Kevin, if you want to start, you can start the invitation music anytime you want to. I want to call your attention to the last four verses of Galatians. Paul says, as for me. So he takes all the things that he talked about in Galatians and he kind of brings it to a conclusion. Basically like he's saying, you can do what you want. I've laid it out why, why you should do this. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross. What he's saying is all the trappings of this world, none of it matters because the cross has changed everything for me. And I've been crucified to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision, they mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. Remember all that talk that we looked at at the beginning of Galatians chapter 5? Whether you're circumcised, whether you're uncircumcised, all the legalism, he says it doesn't matter. What matters is the new creation that I've been made in Jesus Christ. Not the old works of the flesh. What matters is a new creation. May peace come to all those who follow this standard and mercy, even to the Israel of God. That word Israel there speaks of the chosen ones of God. The children of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is how we close out this beautiful section of, of, of two chapters here. It all comes back to Jesus. And isn't that where it's all supposed to come back to? When you're thinking about others, the best way to think about others is to keep your eyes on Jesus. Because he is the proper lens through which we view everything. You'll never have improper vision if you're viewing it through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does this describe you? Does this describe you? Does this describe you? One who says, as for me, just give me Jesus. Just the cross of Christ. I don't want to boast and I don't want to brag and I don't want to pursue anything more than I pursue my Lord. Does this describe grace way? Do we boast in the cross of Jesus Christ? Can we honestly say that what matters most in my life is that I've been made a new creation? Can I say that I've been made a new creation? Do you know Christ as your Savior? If you don't know him, you are not a, cre a new creation. You are still dead in your trespasses and sins, and you need a Savior. I can't save you. The person that invited you to church can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. And you can't come to Jesus just by relation with somebody else. You can't say, I'm a Christian because my grandma was a Christian or my dad was a Christian. I was raised in a Christian home. You can die and go straight to hell out of a Christian home because it's a personal relationship with the Savior. You can die and go to hell straight out of a church pew or a church chair having been every Sunday because it comes down to a personal relationship with the Savior and a personal decision to say, I need you. I need you. Though everything else may fade away, I can't lose you. Do you know Christ? 
If you bear the marks of Christ on your life, it's going to look a lot like chapter 6, doing the work of restoration among our brothers, doing the work of burden bearing, looking for ways and opportunities to help others, taking personal responsibility, not looking for excuses for my sins, but looking for the grace giver the moment that I do. Sharing the goodness that I've received with other people and persisting in it, even though it may require a lifetime to persist before I ever see what God did through it. The life of following Christ, the life of the disciple, is not an easy one. It's not instantaneous. It is a journey, but it is a journey that you will never walk alone because he said, I'm with you wherever you go. If that's a life you want to be part of, then trust him today. If you've already trusted him, if you say, you know what, I've been examining things from the wrong angle. Maybe you just need to come and rededicate or just kind of repurpose everything, recenter it all upon him again. As we close our eyes and bow our heads and stand and we go to a time of response, would you please come today if you have a need that you need to pray over or if you need to rededicate, if you need to be... Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.